but yet it's important to see the background of what God is doing here. The basic premise is this. In in Jeremiah 34, God comes and tells Zedekiah, you're going to be judged. Zedekiah is the last king of Judah. So he's at the end here. Now, if you look at your notes, a little bit of background. His original name was Mataniah. He was renamed Zedekiah by the king of Babylon. He is the last king of Judah. So Jeremiah 34, time-wise, is right at the end. Right at the end here. So Zedekiah is being told, you're going to be judged. You're going to be judged for not being the godly king. You're going to be judged for not leading these people properly. And so what you have here in Jeremiah 34 is a chapter on disobedience. That balances nicely because in Jeremiah 35 it's a chapter on obedience. And there's a really simple premise. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings punishment. It's just a simple concept. And that's what you see here tonight in Jeremiah 34. So we're introduced to Zedekiah. Now Zedekiah is kind of an interesting guy here. And you can see what it talks about him in verse 1 of Jeremiah 34. It says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army and all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion, and all the people fought against Jerusalem and all its cities, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and tell him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from his hand, but shall surely be taken and delivered in his hands. Your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon, and he shall speak with you face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. You hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, You shall not die by the sword. Zedekiah is going to be taken captive. Zedekiah, when he's going to be taken captive, he's then going to be taken captive by the Babylonians. Why? Because of his disobedience as not being the ruler, the proper ruler that he should have been as the king of Israel. Real quick point on this. If God gives you spiritual responsibility, you are responsible for that spiritual responsibility. If you are married, you are responsible to be the best spouse you can be in the Lord. If you have children, you are responsible to be the best mom or dad you can be in the Lord. If you teach a Sunday school classroom, you are responsible to do the best job you can as that Sunday school classroom. If you have no kids, you're responsible to be the best Christian and witness you can be. Whatever place you're at, you cannot get away from spiritual responsibility. You can't. You have, the Bible says, a sphere of influence around you that you are spiritually responsible for. Zedekiah was responsible for Judah. He was the king. He did not fulfill his role as the leader of Judah. So therefore, he was going to be punished for that because of that. Now, with that being said, we have to get into this punishment a little bit. Look here, if you will, go to Ezekiel chapter 12. This is an interesting little passage. Ezekiel chapter 12. Ezekiel is two books to the right of Jeremiah. Ezekiel 12. There's one other little quick verse here on Zedekiah. See, Zedekiah was captured. He was captured trying to escape. As the end got near and Babylon was getting ready to destroy Jerusalem, Zedekiah and his great leadership tried to escape. Well, that didn't go good. Ezekiel 12, verse 12. And the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. This is Zedekiah. They shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so that he cannot see the ground with his eyes. I will also spread my net over him, and he shall be caught in my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon and to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. Now here's the interesting thing when you put this whole thing together. It says there in Ezekiel 12, verse 13, that Zedekiah is going to be captured, taken to Babylon, but verse 13, he says he shall not see it. 
If you go back to Jeremiah 34, verse 3, it says, Your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon, and he shall speak with you, and you shall go to Babylon. But it notes, it does not say you shall see Babylon. Now, you know where I'm going with this if you know the Bible history. Look at 2 Kings 25, 7 in your sheet. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. See, that's the uniqueness of the Bible. Now, we have to talk about the punishment that came on Zedekiah. What a horrible punishment. The last thing he sees are his children put to death in front of him. And then his eyes are are taken from him. And this is where all these little passages come together. It says that he will go to Babylon, but it says he will not see Babylon. Well, why will he not see Babylon? Because his eyes were taken out in 2 Kings 25.7. It's kind of one of those gross type verses, but it shows the accuracy. It shows the truthfulness of what we're talking about here. All these little details come together. Zedekiah was punished for not being the leader that he was supposed to be, for not taking the spiritual responsibility he was supposed to be. And that's why Jeremiah 34 is this chapter on obedience. I don't say this to preach. I don't say this to pick on anybody. But if you are in any type of position, God has called you to a calling of obedience. And when we're not obedient, things happen. Punishment happens. And it's not God's way of being angry. It's not God's way of being mean. It's God's way of actually being loving. To say, I care enough about you to see you walk down the right path. I love my children. I love my children enough to discipline them. Because I care. So what happens here? What were some of their things they were not doing right? Well, if you look in verses 8 through 20, what happened was is the Jews had taken their brothers and sisters as slaves. And that was not allowed. And you can look at the verses if you want a little background there. Leviticus 25, 39 through 42. Deuteronomy 15, 13 through 15. You weren't supposed to take as slaves other Jews. In fact, you were supposed to take them as servants. Every seventh year they were set free. According to Deuteronomy 15, when they were set free, you actually sent them out with provisions and food and basically the blessing of working, saying, here is, if you will, your retirement. So God said you're supposed to be taking care of them. Well, what was happening in verses 8 through 20 is these people had taken each other as slaves. God said that's not allowed. So what did they do? Jeremiah 34.10. Now when all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should set free as male and female slaves, that no one should keep them in bondage anymore, they obeyed and let them go. Now, Jeremiah 34 is the picture of of you and I. Look in verse 10. They obeyed and let them go. Look at the first few words of verse 11. But afterwards they changed their mind. Is that not a picture of you and I? You get your hand caught in the cookie jar. Lord, I'm never going to do that again. I will never do that again. I will never say those words again. I will never look at those images again. I will never raise my voice again. I will never do that again. I will never do that again. Five minutes later, you change your mind. That's human nature. And it goes on. Verse 15. It says, Then you recently turned and did what was right in my sight. Okay, that's good. Look at verse 16. Then you turned around and profaned my name. Boy, that's us. Lord, I love you. I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to read. I'm going to pray before I go into work. And I'm going to find a place to serve. And I'm going to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And I'm going to be the best father in the world. Okay, I do it for two, three, four days. Then I stop. So I start feeling bad again. My life starts going downhill. I realize this wasn't supposed to be. Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm going to do this again. And I changed my mind. See, we can relate to Jeremiah 34. This idea of obedience followed by disobedience. Obedience followed by disobedience. And what God is trying to tell us here in Jeremiah 34 and 35, when you obey, it brings a blessing. 
Now, you don't obey hoping to get something. I've shared this story with you before, and I'll just repeat it one time. I wanted to teach the boys about saying please and thank you at home. So we did the devotional on please and thank you and how important it was to be grateful. The word was gratitude. So I just kind of secretly kept track all day of who said please and thank you the most. And then at supper time, I said, guys, I've been keeping track of who said please and thank you the most. And I had my little tally sheet out. And I said, you know, and I believe it was Layton. I said, Layton did the best job saying please and thank you. So I said, Layton, after supper, you can go get an extra piece of candy because you did such a good job. So once you know what the rest of that evening, you know how many times I heard please and thank you. And they would say please and thank you purposely in front of me. Like they'd be looking at each other. And then all of a sudden they would look at me and say, may I please have that? They were stressing that. And I appreciate that. But I went and told them, you don't get it now. And I'm telling you right now, if you get up in the morning and you say, Thursday morning I'm going to do devotions. Why? Because it's a big day Thursday at work. And I know if I read three extra chapters, God will bless me. It doesn't work that way. You're going to get up tomorrow and say, it's a big day at work. And so I'm going to spend ten minutes in prayer instead of five minutes in prayer. I'm going to listen to Christian radio instead of secular radio. And God's going to bless It doesn't work that way. God says, I see your heart, and when your heart is obedient towards me, you are blessed. Now, the problem is when we hear the word blessed, we automatically think of possessions and money, and God blesses me. He might, or sometimes he blesses you with peace. Sometimes he blesses you with joy. Your cup just runs over in life. I have shared with you before, Pastor Rich has said many times, sometimes the blessing is just peace in the home. That's a blessing. I've known families that have nothing to their name, but their house is a house of peace. And I know families that can have everything you can ever imagine, and I would not want to spend five minutes in their home. So, Jeremiah 34, they weren't obedient. Zedekiah wasn't obedient as king. He suffered for that. The people weren't obedient. They were so disobedient, they were taking each other as slaves, holding their brothers and sisters as slaves. God says, let it go. Okay, we'll let it go, but now we're going to do it again. Now, obedience brings discipline. That's exactly what happened. And what you want is you want the obedience of a blessing. See, look at the end of your sheets here. This great passage in Deuteronomy 11. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. How simple is that concept? God spells it out in Deuteronomy 11. He says, Israel, if you obey me, you will be blessed. If you disobey me, you will be cursed. Well, what happened in Jeremiah 34? Look at verse 17. Therefore, thus says Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty, everyone to his neighbor. You didn't obey me. So since you didn't obey me, there is going to be discipline. Now, right now we have to stop real quick. Because when you hear something like that, you can go one of two ways. You can go way number one of where you say, okay, I get it, I understand it. This is God's way of showing love. I'm his child. And the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines. Or you can sit here and say, this is why I have a hard time with God. If I just break one of his little rules, I get disciplined. Now, both of those statements are true. Now, the question comes up, though, is why would you want to break one of his rules? Because one of the things that God is trying to teach us from Genesis to Revelation is that he loves us so much that those rules that he sets for us are for our safety and our protection and our well-being. 
So therefore, when I choose to break a rule, what I'm really saying is, Lord, I trust my wisdom more than I trust your wisdom. And if we ourselves know that we're doing something that is not lined up to God's morals and standards, why would we want to keep doing it? If you have a loved one in your life that you know is doing something that does not live up to God's morals and standards and they claim to be Christians, why would you want to encourage them to keep doing that? Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings discipline. And I tell you, we want everybody to be blessed in the Lord. So we'll stop real quick because that's Jeremiah 34. Disobedience brings discipline. Now, 35 is obedience brings blessing. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments over anything here in Jeremiah 34? Yes, Sandra. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a great question. How, how do you try to say to someone who's a new Christian or someone who's trying to go deeper in the Lord when basically what you're saying is when bad things happen to them, how do you determine whether this is God punishing them or etc.? Yeah, right. And the answer to that question is three answers. How's that for an answer? Answer number one is yes, God does discipline you for being disobedient. That is what we're talking about. That's one. Number two, God also allows things to come into your life, a Job moment, to teach you to go deeper in your walk. Even though you haven't done anything wrong, he still allows things to come into your life. That can happen too. Number three, we also live in a fallen world where I firmly believe things happen. Now, some people disagree with me on that, and that's fine. If I'm going someplace and I get a flat tire, I, I, my first thought is, Lord, not what are you trying to teach me? My second thought is not, Lord, what have I done wrong? My, third, my thought normally is, well, I guess I got a flat tire. Now, that's the way my mind works. If I get a cold in the middle of winter, I don't look at it as, Lord, what did I do wrong to bring on this sickness? I don't look at it as, Lord, why are you giving me a cold? What lesson are you trying to teach me? I look at it as I live in a fallen world where people get sick. Now, but the Lord can work through any one of those. So I guess to answer your question, Sandra, is if the person came to me and said, listen, I am, I am trying to go deeper in my walk and relationship in the Lord, and I just feel like X, Y, and Z just constantly keep hitting me again and again. Is that correct, kind of what you're saying? My, my honest questions to them would be this. I would say, let's go to step one. Is there anything in your life that you know is wrong and you're living in an unconfessed sin? I would say, be honest, is there anything? And if they would come back and say yes, I would say, well, why don't you take that unconfessed sin to the Lord, confess that, repent, and restore yourself in the Lord, and let's see what happens. Number two, if they would say, no, I can't think of anything, then I would say, let's go to step two. Step two would be, do you feel like the Lord is using this as a Job moment in your life, which is not fun by any means, but do you feel like God is using this as an opportunity to say, listen, I'm allowing this toughness in your life to bring you closer to me, to have you rely on me more than anything or anybody else, and that through this tough time, you're actually going to walk out of your relationship with Christ stronger. That's probably more likely the answer. And if they would say, no, I'm not getting anything out of it, then I would go to step three. And say, okay, are there just practical things here that are happening that we need to kind of look at? Generally speaking, it's going to be one of those three things. That's kind of what it comes down to. And anytime someone comes up to me, and I just had somebody this week come up to me and said, what am I doing wrong that God is punishing me? 
And I had that same conversation with them. And I said, is there anything in your life that you think you're doing wrong that God is trying to get your attention on through discipline? They said, no. And I said, do you think God is using this to mold you and make you into a better thing? And they, after a while, said, yeah. I think he's using this to fine-tune those issues that are difficult. And once again, that's actually love. God loving us enough to allow difficult situations into our life to mold us and shape us into a better Christian, a stronger Christian than Him. Doesn't make it fun, doesn't make it enjoyable, but that's a biblical truth. Anybody else have anything? Yeah. Well, when I first started coming here and actually became a Christian, uh, if you remember one time I told you, I said, if I knew it was going to be this tough, I wouldn't have ever signed on. <laughs> yeah, I remember you saying that. And, uh, and I remember saying, if I knew who you were, I wouldn't have had you come, too. I remember. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, because right away, I think people look at you and they realize that you're making a change in your life, that you just go, oh, yeah. my whole life changed. It's going to be a rose garden because I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. Yeah. And it doesn't work that way. And one of the things that we always say, especially if you've ever been to one of our baptism services, anytime a group gets baptized, we always tell them, you have put the biggest bullseye on your back that you can ever imagine. You've made a public confession that you want to live for Jesus and go deeper in your walk with Jesus. And I know you think you're going to walk out of that water and like, wow, this is amazing. And you will walk out saying it's amazing. And guess what's going to happen the next day? You're going to get hit left and right. Because as soon as you say, as soon as you say, Lord, I love you and nothing will ever keep me from loving you. You're going to get hit left and right. And as you get hit left and right, it's one of those opportunities to say, do I really mean what I say? And it's that testing. Oh, testing is never fun. Never fun. Anybody else have anything about this? Yeah, surely. Uh, no, Zedekiah actually died in peace. He was, he was not hung, no. Well, let's talk about that, because that's actually an absolutely wonderful question. And, and I hear people say, well, well, times were different back then. But you know what? God doesn't change. So here's a couple things. And let's go to the first example there of where God said, let's wipe out every man, woman, and child. And that, that's in there. There's, there's no way you're going to get around that passage. And I sometimes have had atheists come up to me and say, that's why I have a problem with God. How are you going to defend that passage? And I say, I don't try to defend that passage. That's what God decided to do. But before we get to what he did there, let's talk about that one instance there, for example. And that one instance where God said, I'm going to have you go wipe out every man, woman, and child. What people have a tendency to forget is that for about 450 years, before he wiped out every man, woman, and child, he had warned them, saying, repent, change, and come be a part of me. And if you come be a part of me, you will not be wiped out. So if for hundreds of years you have been warned that this is coming, you have to choose to accept or reject. Number two, before he wiped out every man, woman, and child, we forget that King Saul actually went to that town, stood outside the town, and said, we're going to come wipe out every man, woman, and child, and I'm going to give you one more opportunity. If you want to leave, leave now. So now what I've had this analogy is, okay, I'm going to burn down that building with you in it. 
but I'm giving you a 20 years forewarning. Don't be in that building in 20 years. Okay, and even before I go burn down that building with you in it, I'm going to now walk to your door one more time and say, listen, I'm burning down the building here in five minutes. If you want to get out, get out. So did God command that every man, woman, and child should be killed? Yes, he did. But we also ignore the fact that for hundreds of years he gave them an opportunity to repent. And actually before the event happened, he even forewarned them one more time, saying this is what I'm going to do. So yes, I agree that stuff is in there. There's no way around that. But there's also all this grace. It's the same thing with the book of Revelation. When you read the book of Revelation, you hear about one-fourth of the world dying. That's a billion people. How can God do that? Well, we also forget in Revelation, there's the 144,000 witnesses. There's the two witnesses that appear also. There's also all these other people get saved. There's angels flying over around the earth. That's a lot of chance to repent. People just choose not to. Same thing happens today. Someone who's lived a great life up until 80, 90, 100 years old and they die and they go to hell because they chose to reject Jesus. Well, for 80, 90 years, they were given an opportunity to repent and they chose not to. So we've got to remember, here's, here's always the rule. If you ever see judgment in the Bible, what do you always see right along with it? Grace. There's always grace. You will, I don't think you can find an opportunity in the Bible where grace is not given before judgment. Go back and read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels were there. People had an opportunity to change. They chose not to. Go back to the flood with Noah. The Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. The world chose to reject. So, judgment is in chapter 34, but there's also grace too. Yeah, Bob. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he did. He gave a lot of warnings. And let's do two examples on that. The first one is uh, Jericho. Before he knocked down the walls of Jericho, they walked around Jericho, what, at least seven days? If I remember correctly. And remember, when they went into Jericho, the next example is when they talked to Rahab the prostitute at Jericho. Rahab says, we know who you are. We know who your God is. We know what your God did to Egypt, and we're afraid of your God. So they had opportunities too. Once again, looking at Jericho, like I said, I believe it was seven times. If I see an invading army circle my house seven times for seven days, that's seven days to stop and say, do I want to fight them? Do I want to believe what they say? Do I want to die? So yeah, given an example there, if you look as they went through the book of Joshua and they cleared out the promised land, all these nations heard about what God had did. They had a chance to accept or reject. They chose to reject. So since they chose to reject, they were punished But there's also nations in the book of Joshua that chose to believe, and those nations were then brought in with the Jews, and they were blessed. So they were given an opportunity just as well, too. Anybody else here before we move on? Okay, chapter 34, judgment. Chapter 35, blessing. We're introduced to these people, and we're getting a little short on time here. They're called the Rechabites. Rechabites. Now, Rechabites are descendants of Moses' father-in-law, And they're also descendants of Jonadab, the son of Rechab. Now, the reason this is important, and I'll let you in your own time study this out. In 2 Kings 10, there was an opportunity where Ahab's family was around. Now, if you remember Ahab, Ahab was wicked beyond wicked. And they fought against Ahab's family. And so they proved their faithfulness hundreds of years before this. So what God does in Jeremiah 35, he says, these guys are an example of obedience. He's saying, Israel, look at these guys. Jump ahead, if you will, to verse 14 of Jeremiah 34. 
It says, the words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine or perform. For to this day they drink none, and they obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. See, what God is trying to say is, these guys are obedient. They're faithful, and they're blessed. Israel, you guys are not obedient. You're not faithful, so you're disciplined. In Deuteronomy 35, the word obey or obeyed is used eight different times. God is trying to use this example of the Rechabites as a godly example. Look at verse 15. I have also sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn now, everyone, from his evil way. Amend your doings, and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers, but you have not inclined your ear, nor obeyed me. Since you chose not to obey There's discipline. So God uses the Rechabites as an example of obedience. Same thing. We're called to be an example too. Look at all the passages we put down here. Look what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4. I urge you, imitate me. 1 Corinthians 11. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Paul wrote in Philippians. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Now, simple question. Can you go up to someone and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Live your life like I live my life, and you'll glorify Jesus. Have a time of prayer and devotions like I have a time of prayer and devotions, and you'll glorify Jesus. Be obedient in the privacy of your own home, just like I'm obedient in the privacy of my own home. If you can say that, amen. If you can't say that, what is the glaring sin in your life that keeps you from telling people, Let me be an example as I follow Jesus. Now the problem is some people take Paul's words here and they say, well, that sounds really cocky. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul's not saying, look at me. Paul is saying, I am following Jesus, so as you follow me, you're really just following Christ. And once again, I don't say this to be judgmental. I don't say this to pick. If you can't say to someone, I am an example of a Christian you should follow, you have to stop and say, what is going on To do that. Now, when you hear that, one of two things happen. Number one, you either walk away depressed and discouraged and saying, I'm just a horrible person. I barely got here tonight to church, and I wanted to have something refreshing and encouraging, and I'm walking out of this building feeling defeated because I can't say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So I'm going to go home and wallow in that. Okay, don't do that. Because the second response is, why can't I say that? And since why can't I say that, I want to fix those things. That should be fixed. I'll give an example of that. There was something that happened the other day where I've shared with you my wife before and her struggles of not being perfect. And Dawn has a lot of things she needs to work on. And one of the things that she works on, she has a tendency, and some people don't like this word. It's in the Bible, so I think it's okay word to say it's the word stupid. Some people don't like that. I've used that sometimes, and people say, well, we don't use that word in our house. Well, God does in Proverbs 31. I'm just telling you, he uses that word. So Dawn said something the other day, and we don't use the word stupid either. Dawn said something the other day that something was stupid. And so guess what the boys say? Things are stupid. So I always say, now listen, don't say that type of word because, you know, you can think of a better word to use than that. So something happened the other day, and as we were driving down the road, something happened. I said, that was just stupid. So the boys said, Dad, you said it. I said, I said it in the proper context, is what I said. (laughs) So Dawn says, what's the proper context? So I went on this long soliloquy of what the proper context was to use the word stupid, and it basically ended up that I was just wrong. 
So what it comes down to is, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The boys want to know, why can you say it? Have your kids ever asked that? Well, why are you allowed to say it? Well, because I don't have a good answer for that. So what I'm saying is, I hope comes across encouraging. If there's something in your life that you say, I shouldn't be doing this, well, then let's talk to the Lord about that. Let's make it right. Let's, let's get restored. Let's, let's fix that area of darkness and sin and make it right in the Lord so we can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Not to glorify me because I want to be such a light and a witness to the Lord. Look at the pattern I set, so therefore you will follow Christ. What happened when the Rechabites did this? They were blessed. Look at verse 18. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he commanded. Therefore, thus says the Lord of the hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechabah, shall not like a man to stand before me forever. The meaning that the Rechabites will be with the Lord forever, that there will be a blessing to them. Now, there's a lot of points with this. I'm just going to finish this up real quick. In the midst of turmoil in Israel, there are still people faithful to the Lord. I don't know about you, sometimes I turn on the news right now and I say, Lord, seriously, could we even find a thousand Christians in the state? You know, there's still people out there that love the Lord. There's still Rechabites around. Thank the Lord for that. Number two, even though Israel is getting ready to fall apart, there still is a group that was faithful that God says, I will honor that. And, and I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're struggling with. And I tell you right now, it is difficult to be obedient. Sometimes it is. God says there is a blessing in obedience. There really is. And there's such a simple concept in Deuteronomy 34. Disobey, disciplined. Obey, blessed. And as your friend, and as your pastor, and as your brother in the Lord, I want you to be blessed in the Lord. I want you to obey because you will be blessed. And if you, if you are struggling with something, I can only encourage you with this. Obey. It will be a blessing. If you have a loved one that's doing something they shouldn't do, lovingly, prayerfully, in the spirit, in a kindness, go to them and say, I want you to be blessed too. And talk to them about it. I tell you, the Rechabites are a good example of what to do. Hate to say it, Zedekiah was a good example of what not to do. And we can learn from that here in Jeremiah 34 and 35. Anybody have any final questions, comments about anything here before we close up? All righty, let's pray and we'll let you go.